Jesus paid it all on to him my own sin had left a crimson stain he washed me white as gonna ask that we remain standing for the reading of God's word this is from Matthew 11, starting in verse 28, and these are the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Does that sound good to anybody in here? Rest for your soul. This is the promise Jesus is making to us. And this is what I want every person in here to experience. And Jesus is making this invitation, come to him. He has a rest that you cannot give yourself. And so we're going to invite him in right now. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, right now, we want to come to you. We want to invite your presence into this place. And Lord, we pray for your rest, for the peace that only you can give. So now will you please move in this place, Lord? Let us hear from you. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. You may be seated. So I heard somebody make a case recently on a video that you can essentially define and describe our current cultural moment through three major events in history. So they said the first one that truly started to transform the world was in 1370 when the first public clock was put up in Germany. Now, this is actually a picture of one in Paris that came up a year later that is still going. But here's what historians say. They make the case that it was this moment when clocks were introduced to the mainstream, when people started moving from measuring time naturally to artificially, that we actually started to treat time as a commodity. Because what do we say now? Time is what? Oh, it's money. Time is money. So we started measuring time in hours and minutes and even planning things down to the second. Now, it's a couple hundred years later when the second big event came, though. 1879, Thomas Edison introduces the first light bulb. Now, this massively transformed human productivity, but it also massively decreased human sleep time. So we used to just go to bed and wake up with the sun. It kind of decided when you could work and when you could stop. Now, I don't know if you'd believe this or not, but before the light bulb, apparently the average person slept 11 to 11 half hours a night. I just heard, yes. I can't even imagine that. Did they not have kids during those days? I don't know. Um, now today, the typical person sleeps 6.8 hours a night. I don't know where you land in reference to that, but I guess researchers say that is about 40% less than what we really need to function optimally. Now, time started going on, 
And right around the 1960s, we started seeing a boom of innovation. So central heating, air conditioning, microwaves, laundry machines, dishwashers. This was not very long ago. And sociologists were seeing this progress and acceleration in our world, and they were starting to make some predictions. They were predicting that human leisure was about to take a massive extreme step. And so there was a 1967 Senate subcommittee that predicted that by 1985, Americans would only work 22 hours a week. I'm not even done yet. And only work 27 weeks a year. Has anybody accomplished that here yet? Has, now, actually, it was during that period of time when leisure dropped 37%. So all these inventions and invasions, they ended up saving us time, but something happened that nobody expected. All we did was repurpose that time for a bunch of other stuff that now we're doing. So that brings us now to the third major cultural transformation, the year 2007, the invention of the iPhone. Now, does anybody else feel like that looks old-fashioned already in that picture? That looks like a figment of the past. It's weird how fast these things move. But the average person will touch their phone 2,617 times in a single day, which is kind of nasty, actually. But we will also look at our phone for three hours a day. That's average. If you are a millennial, my people, it's five hours a day of phone time. If you are a Gen Zer here today, you will spend nine hours in front of a screen a day. That's what it says. So all of this progress we've experienced, I mean, it's been incredible. The human trajectory, just even the last 100, 150 years, has been unbelievable. But it has led to something that nobody predicted. Nobody was expecting. We are more busy. We are more hurried. We are more frenzied and frenetic than we have ever been in human history. There's actually a well-known philosopher who visited America for the first time when some of these innovations were really starting to take off. And he said this based on his first impressions of our country. They are restless in the midst of their abundance. Now, just in the last few decades, psychologists have even introduced a term that they call hurry sickness. This is an actual condition now that describes a behavioral pattern characterized by a sense of excessive time urgency, leading to unsustainable levels of anxiety and restlessness. There's a professor named A.J. Swoboda, and he actually recently said this, we have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. So this is the question. Do you agree? Do you think that's an accurate depiction of where we're at right now, at our moment in time? Right now, how rested do you feel right now? Like scale one to 10, I don't, what's your number right now? How, how rested are you feeling even right in this moment? J just wondering, would anybody say that emotionally exhausted is pretty accurate for where you're at right now? Is even, even restless on some level, overworked? Now, 
this is what I think is funny about these conversations. Because we talk about this a lot, right? How busy you are, how much we have going on. Every time these conversations start, it immediately goes to just the circumstances and just moment in time we're in right now. It's, it's about the environment. So how many times do we say this? It's just a busy season, right? We just got to get the kids out of diapers. Then we're going to be good. We just got to get through this school year. We just got to wait till the kids move out of the house. We just got to wait till the grandkids are not so dependent on us. We just got to wait till we die, and then we're going to be fine. <laughs> this is what we do. It's just a season, right? Work is busy, and we just tell ourselves, if I can just get to the end of the tunnel or whatever, I think I can get all the circumstances and make everything work out. We think it's just the condition of the moment. I was on the phone with my sister last week. We're super tight, and she just went on a cruise with her husband for their 10-year anniversary. So I was all happy for them, and I called after they got back, and I was like, so, how was it? Because I want to vicariously live through you right now. And I said, how, you just feel like recharged? And she's like, you know, it's funny, Brian. I was planning on just coming back feeling so great, and the moment I opened the front door and looked at my children, reality set back in. It, it lasted half a second. Now, I don't feel that way about my kids. I love my children, and they only bring me energy and joy and love. So my sister, you can pray for her. But we have this habit, though, of just looking at the circumstances and saying, okay, there's the problem. Like, once I can get that figured out, I can maybe solve this hurried, rushed, restless feeling that I seem to have a lot. But we have to take a moment. And we need to look in the mirror. We need to take a personal assessment. John Orberg is an author, pastor. He said this, hurry is not a symptom of a disordered schedule, but a disordered life. It's not our schedules. It's us. And we have a problem because we are facilitating lives that are depleting our souls. And we have to stop just managing symptoms and we have to get to the root cause of the problem. And that is why today, everybody, we are starting a brand new series. We are simply calling Pause. You are going to love this word by the end of the series, okay? I'm going to make us all love this word. Pause. I actually believe we are at a crisis point when it comes to the sustainability of our souls in our world. We are absolutely at a critical moment in human history that is really gonna determine which direction we go. And it's amazing because all of these tools and technology have transformed our lives. Think about it. It was only 150 years ago when we discovered the light bulb. And look how far we've come even then. It's changed everything and yet, we have not been able to get free of just this restless, exhausted state that many of us experience just on a regular basis. So we can say all we want about the circumstances and the seasons of life we're in, but the truth is we need to change. We have to change. We can't wait for the world around us to change because if anything, it's just going to keep moving with the direction it's going and the trajectory it's on. So we need a personal transformation. And so in the coming weeks, we are going to talk about the cure for a ruthless, run-down, rushed, and restless soul. And I am actually really excited about this 
everybody because basically what I'm going to do is just preach these sermons to myself for about the next month and a half. You're welcome to join me, but I'm just going to talk to myself for a couple weeks. But Nicole and I truly have experienced some things that have been transformational for us to really, I believe, get to a place where we can experience real rest in our souls. And we are still going on that journey and learning this, but I'm really excited for what is going to happen in these coming weeks. But I do want to tell you, not every series is like this, but this first month or so especially, it's actually going to be progressive. And what I mean by that is every week is going to build off the previous one. And I know this is kind of a busy season where school's ending for some people and you might miss a week here or there, you're traveling. I get that. If you do miss, though, I would encourage you, try to keep up because you will benefit so much more if you're able to go on this journey with us as we build into what God has for us. And this is why this is so important, everybody, especially if you're a Christian here. The state of your soul is everything. And it's one of the primary things that God is calling you to bring into this world. And if you don't have that worked out in your life, you are not really stepping into it and living into what God really wants for your life. So this is so important for you to experience what we're going to be talking about here in these coming weeks. So today, we are ripping out the foundation. We're getting this thing down to the studs. We, we need to clean house right now for so many of us and just reset all of our expectations of what this looks like. So we're going we're gonna to set it all today and build off of this huge block right here. And this is the passage we're going to be sitting in the whole time. Matthew 11, starting in verse 28, this is Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Whatever Jesus is selling right here, I want it. That sounds great to me. Rest? Yes. Rest for my soul? Sign me up for that. Like, I'm interested. You got my attention, Jesus. Now, it's fascinating how Jesus approaches this whole conversation because he's, he's not just dealing with symptoms. He's trying to get to the root cause, and he uses an interesting illustration. He talks about this idea of a yoke. Now, people at this time would have picked this up immediately in this context, but maybe that's not something we would connect to right away. So you think of a yoke. It's like this wooden frame that would attach two animals together so they could pull a heavier load. And actually, we have a picture of it right here just to give you an idea. And so Jesus talks about this idea of a yoke, but he talks about his yoke. He says, I actually have a yoke for you. But what that must mean is there are other yokes to choose from. And so he's alluding to the fact that, you know, you actually have burdens and weights on your life that you have picked up and you are carrying around. You've actually chosen some other yokes to place on your life that you may not even realize. And sometimes we think, oh, I'm just dealing with the demands of my life. Like these are just the responsibilities I have and they're exhausting. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You're looking at symptoms. You got to peel under the surface. You have massive yokes right on your shoulders that you are just trying to carry around. It was a little while back, Nicole had a woman, Nicole's my wife, and she had a woman approach her to help her daughter. 
Now, this is not unusual. My wife's a speech therapist, so she helps kids with their speech and all that kind of stuff. But this whole situation, the woman's asking Nicole for help. What was strange about this, and Nicole had never experienced before, was this girl didn't need help. She was actually totally fine. She was actually more than fine. She was above average in so many ways. But her mom decided that she wasn't fine. And her mom was determined to get her daughter into one of the elite prep schools in the area. And so she told Nicole, you have to get my daughter to these critical academic milestones. She needs to be reading fluently. She needs to hit all of these standards as fast as possible. Now you hear that, you're like, okay, Brian, that's fine. Some people have high standards for their kids. You know, they're hard driving. And this woman, she was a high-powered doctor, so maybe it's not that shocking. What made the whole experience particularly weird was this girl was four years old. And she's saying, you need to get my daughter going. And what might have looked like just a high-achieving family under the surface was a massive yoke on this girl's back already as a four-year-old trying to even achieve a weight and a standard that wasn't even realistic for her developmental stage. We sometimes don't even recognize the yokes that we are placing on our own lives. You know, many of us in here, you've probably felt just the weight of responsibility for finances in your life at some point. You know, we all experience financial stress in some way. You've got bills, you got to eat. Some of us, you got families that you're responsible for. You feel it. But for some people, it becomes a yoke. And you get to a point where you feel the weight and pressure to either maintain a certain lifestyle, so you're living far outside the boundaries of your income, and you're carrying the weight of that. Some of us, it's just the weight of obsessing over getting to a certain point of financial security and control, even beyond what God is even calling you to have, because you don't want to depend on him even. And before you know it, you are carrying the massive burden of unnecessary financial weight in your life. You know, some people, their yoke is just expectations. Some of us have a massive weight of another person's expectations on our life. It's a parent, it's a spouse, it's a peer group, somebody whose opinion is really important to you. Honestly, it's not even always the expectations of somebody else. It's the own expectations you place on yourself. Some of us have standards that are crushing our own souls. Think of the internal self-talk we have with ourselves. Jeez, I should be such a better parent than I am. I am a failure at this. I'm terrible at it. I should be making so much more money than I'm making right now. What am I doing wrong with my life? Why can't I seem to cold this together? Why can't I seem to lose weight? I should be 20 pounds lighter than I am. Why did I marry this person? Why aren't my kids better than they are? Why, are? why am I just a mess? You know, I can't even live up to my own standards. You know, in ministry, a lot of the conversations I have with people, the, the yokes and burdens they have is from their own past. You know, there are people that are just weighed down by the regrets of their past. And they are still living with the burden of their mistakes, even though something happened years later. They can't get past it. It's still dragging behind them. You know, some people, you know, the weight in their life is actually religion. 
That might be kind of strange to hear. Jesus was even alluding to it in this passage, and he had a lot to say about the weight of religious burdens on people's lives. At one point, he's even correcting the religious leaders of the day. He says this, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. You know, some of us in here, you grew up in a cumbersome church. It was full of legalism and judgmental people and rules and lists, and you had to dress a certain way and be a certain way. Some of us, you grew up in another religion, and there were demands and rules, and the reason you went through a whole rebellious phase was you were just trying to throw that yoke off your life. You're trying to get away from that stuff. And we're glad you're back, by the way. Welcome back to church. Okay, we won't do that to you here. It's something we experience. These yokes can express themselves in so many different ways. And many of us are just picking them up without realizing it. But this is the first critical question we have to wrestle with as we get this series started. Are you carrying a burden Jesus never asked you to pick up? Have you put a yoke on your own life that Jesus never told you to lift? Are you carrying a weight that God never wanted for you? This is so difficult sometimes because on the surface, your life looks like just fulfilling responsibilities, just taking on the demands, just either trying to hustle, get through a season, but under the surface, there is a crushing weight bearing down on your soul that God never intended for you to carry in the first place. And this is why this kind of is complicated. Because if you insist on carrying a yoke that God never wanted for you, he's not going to help you carry it. He's like, I don't even want you to carry that. Why are you dragging that around? And you're like, no, this is mine, God. Don't touch my yoke. And, and he's like, okay, but I, you don't have to carry that thing. And so we walk around life lifting these heavy weights. And the thing is, as heavy as life gets, you have to find some way to sustain yourself, to get by. And none of the things you're carrying are giving you any rest. They are only bringing exhaustion. They are only wearing you down. So you have to find some way to get through it. And instead of rest, you know what we settle for? Relief. We don't actually get rest. We settle for relief. Now, I'm sure many people in here probably watched the Super Bowl from a couple months ago. Don't ask Brandon Freda about it. He's going to rub it in that the Chiefs won, and he's going to do all that stuff. So don't talk to him. But Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm sure many of you know. And right before halftime, you might remember, he took a fall. He got a tackle, and he was on the ground just feeling it. So, like, where's that picture at, Travis? Right there. So he was hurting. And everybody's like, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen to this guy? And then he's sitting on the sideline crying like a little baby, like, oh, I only make $50 million a year. Ouch. Um, I'm not teasing. He's a great guy. Uh, but if you were paying attention, he came out in the second half. Everybody's wondering what's going to happen. But if you zoomed in on his ankle, you would notice something on his right ankle. It was just wrapped and wrapped with a ridiculous amount of tape. Now, anybody who's played sports, or you may just know this, 
tape doesn't heal the injury. It doesn't solve the problem, but it helps you play through the pain. It helps you manage it and just dulls it down a little bit. Now, you know what Patrick Mahomes should have done after he had that fall? He should have stayed off that ankle immediately because you know what the worst thing you can do after having a serious sprain is? Play another half of professional football with a bunch of 300-pound guys tackling you. That's the last thing you want to do with a serious injury. But if you're making $50 million a year and you're playing the Super Bowl, you better believe we're about to tape your ankle and you're going to win this game for us, dude, all right? So this is exactly what we do with our souls. You see, we bear up under the weight of all these things in our lives, and we're getting spiritual sprains and injuries as we go on this journey. And instead of stopping to experience real rest and healing, we just wrap some tape around it. And we find a way to play through the pain. And we have all these words for it. We say, oh, I'm just taking some of the edge off. Or I just got to treat myself. T-G-I-F. You know, I, j I just need a day off, need a break. But what some of these things become are coping mechanisms for enduring the weight of responsibility of the burdens that we carry. We do this in a lot of different ways. So some of us in here, it's TV. Now, there's nothing wrong with TV. I like a good show from time to time. But how many of us in here know that moment you cross in from just enjoying a show to being in the rabbit's hole of TV binging? And before you know it, you're four hours deep into some show where they're seeing who can cook the best cupcake out of peanut butter, sand, and salt. And you're like, what am I doing with my life? This is ridiculous. You know that feeling. I'm sure many of us in here use social media. I think it's a great tool to connect with people. But you have that moment when you slip into just endless, mindless scrolling. And you find yourself just having this gross feeling after just wasting your life looking at other people faking their own lives. Uh, a week ago, I was on my phone. I started going down the social media rabbit hole. And my five-year-old son comes up and he says, you know, Dad, that's really not good for you. You're spending too much screen time. So I put him in timeout for four days. He's still, he's still in there. Food? Drinking? How many of us here know that moment, you're not even hungry, but somehow you have room for seven cookies. And maybe you're not a sweets person. You're a salty person. You can down a whole bag of chips after dinner. It's a Tuesday night, and it's already been a long week, and you're like, you know what? I just got to take a little bit of the edge off. You know, my boss is driving me crazy, whatever. I just need a drink or three or five. How many times do we fall into these moments? We all have our things. Video games are a big one for some people. Pornography, shopping, drugs. There's a whole litany of things. But when you really dig down into it, what we are looking for is just a moment of relief from the weight of our lives. But what we do is we mistake entertainment and binging and distractions for rest. But what we are only doing is dulling the pain of our souls. And we're not experiencing any of the real healing that God has for us. So here's the second question as we set up this series. Are you looking for rest in the wrong places? 
Where do you go when you're weary? What do you run to when just the burden starts to get a little bit heavy? What's your thing? Is it really giving you rest? Or is it just numbing and dulling the weight and pain that you're experiencing in your life? This is where Jesus comes in. And he's basically saying, how's that going for you? How's that working? You feel rested? And he comes now, he says, I have an alternative. I have something I want for you. And this is his invitation. Come to me and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. Now, when Jesus talks about this idea of the soul, you know, we could go down a whole rabbit trail with that, but essentially what he's talking about is the core of who you are. This is the source of your mind, your will, your emotions. This is what is integrating everything about who you are together. And this is where Jesus' offer is so much different from everything else because we want rest from our circumstances. We think if I can just solve this problem, if I can get through this season, then I'm finally going to be able to take a breath and life is going to be easier. I just got to get all the details and demands figured out. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. We got to get to the root. We have to get to the core of your issue. Tape is not going to fix this. You need spiritual surgery. And this is what Jesus is offering. He's saying, I want to give you a rest that transcends your circumstances. I want to give you a rest that will sustain you through every season of your life. Because if you really have a depleted, worn-down soul, there really isn't any real circumstance or situation that's going to completely solve and heal it. There really isn't. But if you experience a true rested soul that Jesus offers, there are no amount of external factors that could ever take that away. So a few weeks ago, I got my first opportunity to go to Steamboat Springs to snowboard. And it was a great experience except for the fact that I ran into a tree and busted my finger. And that's why it only bends this far right now. So that's great. Um, <laughs> running into a tree. How stupid. So the other weird thing about Steamboat Springs, though, maybe you didn't know this, is it actually gets its name for the hot springs that are there. There's these natural hot springs that actually have steam come up out of them, and that's where the name comes from. It kind of looks like a Steamboat Springs deal right there. So one night, my friend and I decided to go try these things out. And what was so crazy about this experience is this is all natural. None of this is human-made. You go in, and this water is like the perfect temperature. It was incredible. And I remember just getting in there, and it was like the most relaxing, amazing experience I've had in a long time. But what made the whole thing trippy was this was the middle of the winter. There was feet of snow everywhere. It was snowing when we were there. It was like this freezing, frigid condition. And yet my friend and I are in this perfect little warm oasis in the middle of the frozen mountains. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he's trying to give this picture of rest for your soul. It is this deep sense of comfort and peace and fulfillment 
It is this perfect equilibrium for the core of who you are. So that no matter how uncomfortable or frigid the environmental factors are around you, you are experiencing a perfect spiritual oasis from the inside out. That's what Jesus wants for you. He's like, I have a warm spot in the middle of that frigid place in your life. And it's one that is going to sustain you. This thing's natural. You don't have to force it yourself. That's rest for your soul, everybody. Now, Jesus says, the only way you get this is through one condition. He says, you have to come to me. He's saying, I am the only one who can provide this for you. Now, why would that be the case? Why can't we just do whatever we want to do? Well, you see, Jesus made your soul. He's the only one who understands how this whole thing works. There's actually a theologian named Augustine. He said this, our heart is restless until it finds its rest in God. So we are not ultimately just talking about getting some more leisure time or turning the screens off, although we'll talk about some of that throughout this series. We're talking about something so much different. And this is where I have to stop some people because some of you are hearing this sermon right now and here's what you're thinking. Okay, Brian, tell me what it is. What are the four steps to a rested soul? Because I'm going to write them all down. I'm going to accomplish them by Tuesday. We're going to be good. We don't even need a series. Tell me, just give me the answer, Brian. How do I do this? Let's just fix this. That's what I want. Tell me. And I got to stop you type A people right now because you're freaking out. That's just all you want me to do at this moment. This is a journey. Jesus is not trying to give you a list right now. This is not a whole litany of obligations that he's trying to give you. He's not trying to add weight to your life. And that's what I'll make sure I don't do for everybody here right now. Here's how you accomplish rest for your soul. Because you're going to miss the whole point. Jesus is saying this is not an obligation. This is an invitation. I want you to come on a journey with me to experience something that you cannot produce yourself. So there's one weird challenge that Nicole and I have had with our kids. Ever since we've had children, there's one thing that we have not been able to get our kids to do. And that is to even get within 10 feet of Santa. They have no interest. In fact, they are anti-Santa. They think he's a creeper. They want nothing to do with this guy. And we don't push Santa big on our kids. You know, if we see him at the store or whatever, like, hey, do you want to go see Santa? They're like, absolutely not. Don't you dare put me in that stranger's lap. I don't want to be near him. The best I have ever been able to do when it comes to Santa with my kids was three years ago, right at the Home Depot down the street here. And we came across a, a fake Santa, just one of those lawn ornament ones. But this was my child's response to the Santa. It's the best I can do, as far as I have ever gotten. Now, the reason my kids feel this way is they have a certain perception of who Santa is. He is not the nice man who has cookies and presents and wants to hear about all your hopes and dreams. No, he's a creeper. That's who Santa is in my kid's mind. Stay away from him. Now, Jesus is actually trying to shift our perception of him here because he understands that we are not going to take him up on this offer unless we actually understand who he is and what he has to offer. So maybe you didn't catch it there. Did you see what one of his reasons was for why you should even take him seriously in this? He said, come to me because I'm gentle, because I'm humble in my heart. 
many of us have a very inaccurate perception of Jesus. We think, oh, if Jesus asked me to come to him, I'm getting called to the principal's office. Like I'm about to be punished for something. He's got words for me. And Jesus is saying, no, you need to adjust your perception. You have the wrong view about who I am. And we don't appreciate how profound it is that Jesus would use these words to describe himself. This was world-changing for him to use these words at this moment. Because on one level, for someone who's gentle, we sometimes think of that as weakness. Right? Oh, they're so gentle. That's not the same thing. Weakness means you don't have the strength to fulfill what is required. To be gentle, though, is you have all of the strength and power, but you choose to apply it appropriately given the situation. Jesus is saying, that's what I'm really like. But he also says, I'm humble. Now, the fact that God himself would use this word is so unbelievable because what it means to be humble, it means to lower yourself, particularly below even other people. And at this moment in time, the Roman culture would never even consider humility to be a virtue to aspire to. That would be the ultimate shame. To be someone who was humbled, it would be horrible. It would be horrendous. It could ruin your life. You'd be an absolute failure. And people could never even fathom the idea of a person wanting to humble themselves, let alone God himself. And yet Jesus, you follow his life, and he starts hanging around kids when they weren't even valued in the culture, making time for them. He starts hanging out with the rejects of society. On the very night he is betrayed, when he knows he is facing certain death and is going to be nailed to a cross, he gets on his hands and knees and washes the feet of his disciples. This was an act only for the lowest slaves. And he was doing it to the very people he created. Even the man who would betray him. Nicole, just this last week for Easter, did like this little Passover experience for like our kids, just to help them appreciate it. And at one of those moments, she was reenacting the night Jesus betrayed, that Passover meal. And so she actually washed all of our feet, you know, the kids and myself. And of course, I can't just let my wife do all of it. So I like do the whole foot washing thing too, and I wash her feet. And she said, remember the last time you washed my feet? I was like, I've washed your feet before? Hmm. She's like, yeah, on our wedding night, you used to be so romantic. <laughs> I don't even remember it. And here's what was trippy, though, about this foot washing thing. I know it's not something we do in our culture today, but there is something so vulnerable about putting yourself below another person and washing their feet. It's a very humbling experience. And it's something Jesus himself did. So he's saying, alter your perception of me. I am not coming to bring more weight to your life. I'm not trying to beat you down. I'm not trying to lay a massive burden on your life. He's saying, I want to take the weight off. I want to lift the burden. And he says, my yoke, what I have for you, it's easy. It's a light burden. You know, this is the only place 
in the entire Bible that word easy is used. The only single time. And it's used to describe the weight that Jesus wants to put on your life. An easy one. Now, this is where we have to be careful. Some people think, yes, Jesus, make my life easier. Please just take away all of the hard stuff. Can you just fix all of my problems and the annoying people that are making my life hard? That's what I need you to do. And this is why you have to be careful because we misunderstand it. Jesus is not promising an easy life. He is not promising to fix all of your circumstances and problems. You know, you read the Bible, it should actually scare you just a little bit. Because you notice that God actually isn't that interested in making your life very easy. Every time God comes into people's lives, he kind of complicates it a little bit. He's like, hey, Abraham, I know you're really comfortable right there, but how about we move you a couple thousand miles in this direction, and we just relocate you? Hey, uh, Moses, I know the shepherd thing is working out, but how about you deliver a couple million people out of slavery? You're going to want to kill all of them. They're going to drive you nuts, but I need you to do this. Uh, Joshua, you see that enemy, just all those nations in there that are giants and want to kill you? Yeah, can you just start walking in that direction over there and do that? Uh, hey, Mary, how about you give birth to a child in the first century? Can you imagine that experience, ladies? It's hard enough today. God doesn't call us to an easy life. He calls us to an easy yoke. Those are two very different things. Jesus is saying, I am offering you a way of life that no matter what your circumstances are, it will take the weight off. It will relieve the burden. You will experience a warm oasis in the middle of any conditions that you are facing. So actually, I want to invite the worship team out now as we get ready to land the plane. And I want us to Understand this opportunity. This is not just an offer Jesus was making to these people in this moment. This is an invitation he is making to you right now. He is saying, come to me. I have a way of doing life. I have a yoke for you that is going to take the burden off. This is going to give you rest for your weary soul. So really, are you willing to give Jesus' yoke a try? Are you willing to accept this invitation that he's putting out at the beginning of this series? Are you willing to see that he can actually give you rest for your soul? Now, I know there's probably a lot of questions. Because again, some of us are like, well, Brian, how does it work? What are the steps? Like, just give me the tools. Like, I still don't understand. Well, there's one key thing you have to understand if you're going to be able to go on this journey with Jesus. He said, my yoke. Now, we said at the top what a yoke was. It's this tool for how many animals? Two. Now, you'd think Jesus would say, I want to take all the yokes off your life. Like, let's remove all the barriers and you can be totally free. But no, he says, you need to take my yoke. You need to put this thing on. And you'd be thinking, well, no, Jesus, that's going to add more burden to my life. I don't need more yokes. I got enough of those. And you need to take them off. He's like, no, you don't understand. I am going to carry the yoke with you. 
Jesus is in the other spot. And in his unbelievable humility, God himself has come down into your life. And he's saying, I am the one who wants to carry the burden for you. I want to lift the weight. I want to go on this journey with you called life. It's my yoke. I just need you to come along with me. I'm carrying it. And the reason why this should be such a compelling invitation to you is because Jesus has already proven that he can handle the weight. He has taken on the ultimate burden of your life already. He has taken on the full weight of your sin. Jesus took on the ultimate yoke at the cross. And he paid the full price on your behalf. And now he's saying, I have taken the yoke of judgment off your life. I've taken the yoke and the burden of you needing, trying to live up to whatever standards you think you need to. And instead, I have a yoke of grace. I have a yoke of peace and comfort, one that is going to be easy. This is a light burden. And so, as we step into this series, I want to challenge all of us to take Jesus upon this offer. Will you come to him? Will you take up his yoke? Because he says, if you do, you will get rest. Rest for your soul. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you right now that you are not a God of heavy burdens. You are a God of gentleness and humility. And Lord, that your heart's desire is to take all of the heavy burdens off our life and to give us the light yoke of your grace and your goodness that brings true rest to our souls. Lord, thank you so much. My prayer, Lord, as we go into this series, is that you would really help us take these steps in your direction, that we would come to you for this. And Lord, that you would fulfill your promise, that we would really experience this rest that you have to offer. I pray right now, Lord, that you would already start freeing people from the burdens they are carrying, burdens that you did not ask them to lift up, the things that are weighing us down, Lord. I pray for freedom, Lord, from some of the dysfunctional, unhealthy relief habits we have in our lives. I pray for freedom from those, God, so we can have true rest. And Lord, I want to thank you already now because I know the journey you're going to take for our church these next couple weeks is going to transform people's lives. I pray for real freedom, Lord, and I pray for true rest for our souls. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.